Hi, and welcome to Things of Interest. I'm Sophia France. And I'm Serena Chen. And this week we're going to be talking about marketing, and I realise that that's a really big uh, area, <laughs> and it is in fact not the area of either of our expertise, except in the fact that we are the recipients of marketing. But over the last couple of years, and more recently as well, there's been a movement to um, make marketing more targeted at what we probably call social justice movement. So you think about the kind of tact that you can get surrounding things like Pride and Mardi Gras, even the Dove Love Your Body commercials that happen, and now more recently the Gillette commercial about how the best a man can be is probably not a rapist. We just watched it together, and as I was sort of saying to Serena after we saw it, like it's a really cool and sweet ad, but also it's fundamentally an ad for a razor company, so when they say the best a man can be, like probably in there is some amount of shaving. <laughs> um, what are, what were your thoughts on uh, that? Oh God, one million dislikes. Ad, yeah, Serena. Mm. <laughs> Twenty million views, one million dislikes, five hundred k likes. People really hate this ad for some reason. Um, I watched it for the first time just then, and I I don't know. I really liked it. I thought that was a sweet message. And it was also quite like a light, non-controversial message. Like, they weren't saying anything radical. Mm. They didn't mention the word feminism. Mm. They didn't say, hey, it's time for us to question the patriarchy. It was just like, hey, guys, maybe parent a bit better. Um, Break up kids fighting. Maybe don't harass women on the street. And uh, be the best that you can. It was a very, like, mild, light ad. And I'm very interested in this huge, seemingly huge backlash. I suspect there are two reasons that this ad has come out and why this ad has come out now. And one of them is that Gillette has realized that there is a marketable proportion of the population who will see that ad and buy stuff. Mm -hmm. And the other reason is that they were aware that there would be this much controversy over it. They were or weren't aware? They, they were aware. So, like, yes, it's yes. This, this huge controversy, like, us talking about it now is mm. essentially free advertising, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that it's been so talked about, the fact that, like, it's been shared so widely on Twitter and Facebook and there's discussions in, like, every feminist group I'm a part of on Facebook. <laughs> like, that's all free advertising for Gillette, the company that's the same company as Venus Razors, who mm-hmm. also, like – are just like, women should also be hairless, but more hairless than men. And, like, a company that just, like, has a pink tax, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I think we can look at that ad and be like, yeah, it's a pretty good ad, but what's really important to remember is that it's advertising mm-hmm. before it's anything else, before it's a public service announcement, it is advertising. And I think it's um in Australia right now there's a couple of, and they've been going for over a year now, like, sort of public service announcement-y, ads like funded by the government where they sort of highlight like ways that you as a parent or you as an individual might be interacting with people in ways that make their lives worse Mm -hmm. so there's like one where some boys are running down a hallway and they like hit a girl accidentally and her mum's like hey sweetie like it's okay this kind of thing just happens and the girl like looks at her mum dead on and she's like no I know and when I get older, it'll mean that I'm more likely to accept violence from men in my life. And her mum was like, oh, that no. That got deep fast. Oh, wow. no, that's not what I meant. 
oh no <laughs> and so it's kind of like this um i think the tagline is like stop it at the start right so both like not conditioning people who are being raised female to like accept violence from you know men as part of their lives which i think like mm. to a large extent we are it's like boys are rough is often i think the phrase that's used mm-hmm. um but also talking to kids when they're growing up and just being like hey it's not okay to hit this is not a household where we do that like Mm. And we need to have that discussion now because it's too late when you're 30. And I I greatly prefer those to anything that's trying to sell anything. (laughs) Well, this is the kind of crux of the problem is that on one hand, you've got these huge multinational companies with incredible reach and they're, I mean, I don't want to say they're putting their foot down because again, these messages are extremely mild. Uh, mild takes and nothing radical but they're coming out and they're saying hey the mildest lightest version of maybe men should stop being shitty and on one hand that's really important it's really important as a signal to the public that these huge powerful corporations are on board with something that's good but on the other hand as you've mentioned it's a it's advertising first and foremost. It's increasing their bottom line first and foremost. It's going to raise their stock prices first and foremost. And in kind of supporting these messages, a part of me wonders if they're also destroying them at the same time. I'm reminded a lot of, was it last year uh, Nike brought on Colin Kaepernick and did like a whole advertising campaign with him? You've got to stand for something even if it means sacrificing everything. Oh, yeah. I've seen memes of that. Yeah. And it was this huge advertising campaign um, right after all the scandal of um, Colin Kaepernick taking a knee, that meme spreading around the US and protesting police brutality. And it it was a very similar kind of feeling, this conflicted feeling of, wow, I'm really happy that this huge, powerful company is standing behind this message that I believe desperately needs, you know, more support um, and more awareness. But at the same time, in supporting this message, I feel like they've diluted it to a point where I'm not sure if it's going to make a difference anymore. Yeah, and it's stuff like that tension between saying, like, you have to stand for something, even if it means sacrificing everything, and... Yeah, all of Nike's factories being in yep. countries where they get to pay people like cents yep. per day. Where there's no air conditioning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like we're here for human rights unless you're a child in our factory making our sneakers, in which mm. case, who cares? Yeah. And it's, it's so conflicting because I'd rather Nike came out with that ad campaign than they didn't. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, look. I feel like over time I'm just increasingly reaching the conclusion that capitalism is bad. I mean, yes. Um, <laughs> I think, but also, I think we're on the same way. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, like, I think there's there's a very valuable discussion to be had um, in sort of a second about the interplay of, like, private and public sectors, especially with the government probably being shut down forever in the US. Um, cool. But also, like, no one specifically in the example of Gillette and Venus, I can talk about this. Mm. No one who's trying to sell you 
a razor. Like, as a woman, as someone who's feminine, like, no one who's trying to sell you a razor is, like, on the side of feminism. Because they want you to continue to adhere to just shitty modes of, like, what beauty should look like and how people who want to identify as women or, like, more feminine should exist in the world. I had a wee look at, like, the most recent Venus ads, and they're really cute. It's like, yeah, you're in control. Like, you can decide what to do with your body, but also shave your armpits. (laughs) Make sure your legs are absolutely hairless. Like, come on, man. And, like, even the dove, like, love your body. It's like, yeah, love your body, but use all of our products so that you can love your body. And also, we're owned by Unilever, who's the same company that owns things that make links and acts and yeah and i think like i think gillette also owns a company that makes like skin whitening products Mm. it's just kind of like okay i like it when companies don't sell things by being like be a man and have muscles and get something that's called like cold ice smash like that's good it's happening because it's effective advertising not because like a subculture thinks it's good and also they're still not a great company like they're still a company that says hey exists in society in a way that like we allow you to but do that specifically by buying our products well okay so this is the weird and kind of complex and intricate thing about corporations these days is that they're so 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 large and they touch Every kind of niche, every inch of our lives. I remember when I was like eight years old, just hanging out in my parents' dairy and reading the backs of labels of like the the fizzy drinks. And that's when I realized that all of these different fizzy drink brands, just, you know, tens and twenties of different fizzy drink brands, they were all owned by two companies. Coca-Cola and Fruqua. And that really blew my mind. It was like, oh my god. So you're saying that like every single drink in this fridge is owned by the same company. Why do they have different brands and sub-brands? And then I realized it's corporations can do this thing where they put on different masks and become different kind of quote-unquote people, become different identities to appeal to whichever group of people whichever demographic will give them money so this is where you'll find weird things like um that dove ad appealing to you know a very kind of body positive feminist almost identity at the same time while owning brands like lynx and axe which have extremely sexist advertising and extremely sexist messaging and they can do that both at once because And I think this is something that we still fundamentally fail to grasp, just, you know, as everyday people, is that corporations aren't people. Okay, and we we all know that they're not people, but we treat them as if they were a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, in a person, you'd be like, that is cognitive dissonance, like, we got to talk about that, here is the time to see a psychiatrist. But in a company, (laughs) it's just like, yeah, of course we'd do this. Like, we're trying to capture the whole market. A company doing these two things at once is I mean if it was just like a person doing that or even a group of people a group of friends a small group of friends doing that it's like we're lying but a huge multinational company doing that 
there's no lies. It's just people doing their jobs. And you'll have people who disagree fervently with each other in the same company. And that's fine. In fact, that's better from the, for the company's bottom line. And so you get these like weird-ass situations where you have completely different messages. And when we come in from like a critical point of view and we criticize the fact that, you know, they're essentially the same company saying two completely different messages, in some ways even that criticism doesn't touch on the root cause. So... I mean, I'm not critical of them doing that as a company. Like I see sort of very practically, it's an effective way to survive. What I'm concerned about is the fact that we as individuals either aren't aware of that or very willingly look over that mm. to be like, this is fine. Mm-hmm. This is, in fact, good. Like, we love that they're advertising to us. Mm. Well, on one hand, like it's good to respond to an advertising campaign like that by buying products like capitalism is bad anyway (laughs) good to do that by buying products because that sort of encourages and like reinforces that behavior like think of companies more as just like weird dogs in that aspect right like (laughs) the dog does a good thing like it doesn't shit outside you're like yes very excellent have a treat like i will buy your soda the dog does something bad you ignore it. You go away. You're like, no, thank you. Um, it's like that. Oh, Squarespace for ages was hosting anti-Semitic websites or mm-hmm. doing something really bad, and so people just like were like, no, we're not going to use Squarespace. Go away. Mm. And like that sort of has that impact as well. Like you're trying to do conditioning because you know, as individuals, that's all we can do a lot of the time. Like. Mm-hmm. A vanishingly small number of us are people who are actually in positions to enact meaningful change either within companies or within, like, the legal system from a government perspective. And so all we've really got is, like, a wad of cash that we can decide yeah. where we want to spend it. And so, like, to exist in the world and to accept that, like, you're going to buy, you know, for example, a razor blade at some point in your life. Like, if you're like, yeah, I shave, like, and I shave for me and not for anyone else. Like, okay, fine. Live your best life. Stand in your truth. Making the, like, choice to buy a razor blade from a company that has just said, like, rape is bad, you guys. That's a ethically better decision than Mm. buying what I do. They are the Bic razor blades, which are the cheapest. <laughs> they are the cheapest. Yeah, I've got them too. Uh, I, I really like how just bluntly functional they are, as well as being pink, but just bluntly functional. I just love how they're $2 a pack. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sorted for the next two years. It gets to a point where, like, I question when does it go from the fact that we as a consumer base are conditioning the companies to when the companies are conditioning us? Because, you know, with all of the the female reboots in Hollywood that have been going on lately. Yes. Yeah, um, which is great. I love it. I'm here for it. Um, but there's always like this kind of whirlwind of controversy that um, prefaces every one of these movie releases to the point where people get so riled up and it's like, we have to go see this opening weekend. We have to make sure this movie is successful, which is good. But then the cynical side of me thinks, at what point can we say this is the new normal and we don't have to make a huge effort 
to show up. We'll probably show up anyway, just because, you know, it's fun. We go to the movies, but yeah. So that's where I have difficulty, right? Because, like, Mm -hmm. I don't think it makes sense ever to be like, it is my moral imperative to go and see this film. Right, yeah. Like, if you want to see it, then you'll go and see it, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's never a sort of political statement to go and watch a film. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, so films can be political. I saw Sorry to Bother You recently and just, wow, that's a political and very weird film. And so watching them can be, like, a political act in the sense that you're engaging with a particular narrative. But I don't think it's a political act to, like, go and see, you know, like, the Ghostbusters reboot to be like... I just it's so many go and see it because like it's fucking funny and like melissa mm. mccarthy is excellent in it right it's not a political act to like pay you know like 20 dollars for a, at a fucking movie theater to just go and see something because like some neckbeards on the internet were mad about it right like that's fundamentally like whoever yeah. made that movie and often it's just like one of three corporations right like mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> all media is owned by oh five people um like they know that in making that film the furora the controvert controversy mm-hmm. with big air quotes like will be part of that marketing campaign like you look at miss marvel right mm-hmm. or captain marvel sorry jesus that was sexist of me um <laughs> oh yikes <laughs> Like, you look at Captain Marvel and, like, I can guarantee you that the people who made Captain Marvel knew that there would be people being like, she's too pretty to be a superhero, cannot believe they're making a film about a female superhero, wasn't Mm -hmm. Wonder Woman enough, like, different universes, but fine. So this is the point I'm getting at. Do you remember um, in a previous episode we talked about, like, partisanship or something? I don't know. It came up. And just how viscerally our yeah our our brains from from way back when we we had to be extremely loyal to our our group of people to survive and partisanship and you know other identity things like sports teams will will trigger that part and make people go just wild seemingly for no reason at all Uh, apart from protecting this this part of their identity, this part of their group belonging. And I think this is what a lot of um, of huge companies in, in Hollywood, in sportswear and fucking razors, this is what their marketing teams have realized, is that if they tap into this extremely hyped up um, identity protection part of our brains, they can get people to go wild and just like defend an ad like write think pieces and go all out and show up on opening night for a movie in droves like go watch it 10 times at the cinema they can get people to to buy razors and actually care about what razor they buy for the first time in their life and they can get people to suddenly be personally and emotionally invested in products that otherwise don't matter and they can do that by by really triggering this um this partisanship this group identity part of us this narrative right now in the day of today is this whole like feminism versus anti-feminism social justice versus uh conservatism kind of narrative and they found that and i think they're just tapping into that and getting everyone riled up that's also just a tried and true method of advertising and making sure people see 
yeah. your films and like buy your shit. I suspect that like like when you think about brand loyalty, mm. that is because a brand has worked really hard to build some kind of relationship with their consumer, whether that's because they're like, we represent a image you want to put out into the world, a life you want to have, something you want to engage with. Um, like that's the way brand loyalty is built or just like having a really good product. Can I suggest that one? But also if you look at things like, like fucking all of New Zealand went to see the Hobbit films, right? I did not. The second and the third one aren't good. <laughs> I didn't see any of them. That's I'm okay. A bad patriot. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like that's that's what was tapped into for those films, right? Yeah. Like it was like Peter Jackson done good. These are filmed here. Like you sh- you should go and see The Hobbit. You're a New Zealander. It's part of your life. Like there's a giant mm-hmm. golem at Wellington Airport. Like it's very disturbing. Yeah, like those are <laughs> ways that it's tapped into a pre-existing identity, right? And like I mm-hmm. don't think that the you know Gillette razor ads or anything like that are fundamentally different to you know like the kind of discussion that was had around the hobbit in new zealand where it's like yeah of course we're Mm. gonna go see it because we're new zealanders i don't think there's a fundamental difference but i do think there is a difference of scale and of and of intensity yeah Yeah. yeah, absolutely yeah and and you see flavors and different angles of it you see like the gamergate thing popping up in the gaming community you see white supremacy popping up Nazism popping up like this these are all like flavors of the same kind of fight this kind of overall narrative around what we as a people value what we think is morally right where we think we should be heading towards and i think it's dangerous because you know on one hand we're seeing corporations companies tap into this to try and sell us more of their wares which is fine okay yep that's a thing that they do um but on the other hand you see nation state actors tap into the very same kind of argument the the very same kind of narrative conflict um you see like russian troll farms doing the whole both sides thing to try and rile everyone up even more and to cause a more fractured voter base and to to really sow distrust within democratic systems in the US. And this is the part where it gets kind of scary, is that, yes, there is this kind of, it feels global, but let's be honest, it's in the Western spheres, because that's where we all hang out on the internet. Like, where we hang out, there's this global kind of fight over the main narrative. There's this fight over the whole idea of social justice and what is right and what is wrong and this fight is so partisan and different actors see this as as a weapon you know as something that they can tap into as this kind of emotional fury that they can tap into either for or against and they can use that to swing elections they can use that to sell you raises they can use that to do what they're here to do and that's kind of worrying because I'm very aware that I myself am caught up in this. Like when I watched that Gillette ad, I I felt it, it was really heartwarming. Like I felt the emotions, the emotions were real. And when, you know, Nike does something like support Colin Kaepernick, I'm like, I, I feel good about that. And I'm just very aware now of how emotionally invested I am in these things. And I don't 
I'm not saying that we should be less emotionally invested, but perhaps perhaps it would do us all good to be aware of how our emotions are being manipulated and used for ends that we maybe aren't aware of. Yeah. Because, like, my, my approach, like, despite the amount of trash I talk about capitalism, is, like, I don't expect everyone to go out and, like, start their own vegetable gardens and go to swap and recycle meats. Like, yeah. what I want people to do is be more aware of how we're being manipulated by companies mm. and to be conscious of that and to start to make an active choice about what they're doing and why they're doing it. And if you're buying a Gillette razor because you're like, damn, that ad was pretty good. Like, I think that's legitimate. I think that's a legitimate choice to make. But I think you, it needs to be your choice. And I think you need to be aware that it's an ad rather than like a view of the company. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Like, I would yeah. I am very hesitant to call a company or any corporation feminist. Yep. Or, Mm -hmm. like, good from a social justice perspective. I think predominantly the groups that exist that are like that are generally non-profits. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, they put all their profits back into the world. And so it's like, yeah, like, you can go and buy, like, a Gillette or a Venus razor and use that to shave every part of your body if you want. Like, I respect and I support you in that. But what I want people to do is to be more self-critical of why they're doing that. Mm. I was in a shopping center the other day and I saw some like rainbow sequined shorts Mm -hmm. and I wanted them. (laughs) (laughs) But I was like, okay, sit back. Why do you want them, Sophia? I'm like, well, because I'm a magpie. Um, But also because I was like, yeah, like rainbow stuff. Like that's queer shit. Like I want to own rainbow things because like I'm a massive gay and I want everything on my body to be rainbow. (laughs) And admittedly, like in this particular shop, like that wasn't a marketing ploy. They just like sell cute clothes. Mm. But for a lot of places and like, you know, Midsummer's coming up in Melbourne and the Mardi Gras is going to be happening in Sydney. Like they sell rainbow shit because like (laughs) they want to sell things. Mm. Like that's it they don't sell it because they actually like gay people or care that like trans people exist in the world they sell it because we buy this shit because like we we make the joke occasionally that like the gay triarchy exists right but like there's a lot of gay men who exist in high paying jobs and like do quite well Mm -hmm. in their careers and they have the disposable income to buy tacky rainbow shit and often they do like Mm -hmm. It's been realized that we're a marketable section of society and that we'll buy sometimes really shitty things because we're just like, I love this, it's tacky, it's me. Mm. And I think it's, yeah, like we, we have to be so cautious about engaging in that because like, you know, if you look at tacky rainbow things and you want to buy it, like I respect. But if you look at tacky rainbow things in a store and you're like, this company supports marriage equality and rights and, you know, third genders on passports like that would be an incorrect assumption to make from that Hmm. and this is again where we come to like the really uncomfortable i feel like i feel like as a consumer i've been backed into a corner here because on one hand i'm really happy that these kinds of products are out there and i'm really happy that me and my friends and people like me have been identified as a group of people worth marketing to. I'm well, 
I'm been back in the corner because I'm actually not happy about that because I think the whole system is broken and I think that, you know, we're humans and we're more than just a group of people that are worth marketing to and we have more inherent worth than that. But I'd rather we be a group of people worth marketing to than just nothing at all. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, I, I really do because, like, if yeah. we're worth marketing to, then then – was seen both as worthwhile, which is, like, kind of nice. Like, you got mm-hmm. value. But it also increases our visibility, right? Yeah. Like, and that... That's an... Huh. Yeah. I'm very hesitant about saying good things about marketing, basically, is, like, my no, underlying I feel you, yeah. point here. But, yeah. like, that's a good thing, to have mm. those kind of messages be visible. Like, the Gillette ad existing is good. The Dove Love Your Body campaign existing is good. The fact that they exist to sell you shit is bad. And I think that's kind of the tension where I exist in. Because I'm like, yeah. these messages existing in the world, they exist predominantly because they've realized that feminists buy soap sometimes, right? <laughs> like, okay. Um, yeah. The fact that they exist is really good, and it means that more people are getting exposure to these messages. I'd prefer it if it came from a government. Let's just be real. Like, the, you know, stop it at the start campaign from the Australian government. Mm. Much better way to communicate that. But, okay. Like, it's just, it's, I'm very conflicted. Yeah, same. But, like, the split between the public and the private sector in, like, what social good is and how it gets communicated is, um, it's a very tense area, I think, because a lot of the time the private sector has more money. Yes. And so can do more so they've got more money they've got more connections Mm -hmm. and they're pretty willing to just like turn around to their mates and be like hey can we have a favor can you do this social good Mm -hmm. thing um whereas governments can't do that as much but they are sort of the right actor in this case and like when you look at the u.s sometimes the government just doesn't work and it's like it's that weird tension where i really want the kind of people to be creating these campaigns and putting this information out into the world to not be profiting from it. Yes. You've hit the nail on the head. Yes. Yeah. But the people who profit from it have more money to invest in making these campaigns. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is the kind of like hair tearing out frustrating moment of realization where, and this is, this exists outside of our current topic, but like, you want to do something. You need money to do it. Okay, I need to get money. How do I get money? I need to have money to do the things to get money. And then you're just like stuck in this headache of a of a loop yeah. where there's a real lack of capital. But I mean, the way we sort of try and manage that, right? I think on a personal level for both of us is like by volunteering. Yeah. Like you do your you do your Rails Girl stuff, which mm-hmm. is really cool, and I'm super impressed by that. Um, I've done some volunteering with the Reach Foundation, which, like, teaches boys to talk about their feelings. It's super cute. They do, like, little gender-segregated classes where they just get everyone to open up and have feelings. That's really nice. And just hearing, like, the the enablers talk about it, they're like, yeah, at the beginning of the class, people will be like, oh, it's a bit gay, blah. <laughs> and then we just, like, interrogate that. We're like, yeah. hey, why, do you, why would you see that as being a bad thing? Like, being gay is chill, right? And they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, but, oh. And, like, over two hours, like, you have a bunch of young men who become much more in touch with their feelings and much more willing to engage in these kinds of conversations. And, like, the Reach Foundation certainly does it from a viewpoint of, like, you know, creating mental health and, like, helping youth develop the tools to Mm. 
be resilient, right? Like as much as that's a buzzword now. And oh, I have a lot of feelings about the Reach Foundation. Basically, if that existed in my hometown, like it would have fundamentally changed the course of my life. Mm. Um, <laughs> so that's weird and horrifying. But that's that's the thing is that I was having a conversation with a friend um, oh, maybe like a few months ago now and we were talking about how he was playing a game, maybe it was Fortnite, who knows, probably that. He's playing like some kind of online multiplayer game where you can like get on a team and listen to people talk to each other and like, you know, talk to yeah. each other. And he was just telling me about how horrified he was at how young boys treat each other. Like, they're horrible to each other, and they're friends. And it's a behavior pattern that I recognize from growing up on the early internet, because that's how people treated each other on the early internet as well, is that, you know, you would insult other people, you would um, put them down, you would make fun of them, you would call them idiots all the time, and you would all be friends, and that's, like that was the dynamic of how these friends treated each other. And it was really, like, it wasn't just a teasing, it wasn't teasing kind of insults. It was, like, really cruel, cruel comments. So, like, not so much what's up, dickhead, as, yeah. hey, I hear you're, like, this th- particular thing that you have low self-esteem about is particularly bad today. <laughs> yeah, and a, a lot of people telling each other to go kill themselves and a lot of, like, very specific, targeted things about their behavior about any kind of like vocal text they have um about how they look if they know how each other look it's just like cruel and horrible and we were both sit like talking about this and it, it was just like we need to save the boys like we need to save gamers because there's something really really wrong with that entire culture and when i talk about gamers i don't mean people who game i mean like gamers in italics <laughs> the kind of people who'd hate zoe quinn like yes and that's it's frustrating because these are the groups of people who have harmed in very real physical and psychological ways uh just innocent people outside of their groups but the people inside them are just well they start off just as innocent so i guess a lot of those groups just need, like, one or two people to kind of be, like, actively caring and vulnerable about things to dissipate that kind of chat. So, like, I've been in groups where, like, you know, we're competing for a thing and we had, like, this group chat and someone was like, man, like, all the other team's presentations are shit. And I was like, they are trying their hardest and I'm proud of all of them. And that just kind of, like, immediately broke that that kind of tension that was being held where we were Mm. kind of being like very insular and competitive. And I was like, you know what? Everyone's doing a great job and we can't go back and redo our presentation. So (laughs) there's absolutely no reason for us to be shitty about this. Yeah. And I think like often you find in those kind of groups and you know, like I, I understandably have limited experience in male only spaces from what I understand talking to friends, like you just kind of need one or two people to be like, Hey, like, that's, That's not kind okay. of mean. Yeah. Like, it's it's okay to, like, feel shitty about things sometimes. Like, you look great today and you're doing your best and I'm proud of you. And um, I have some very close male friends who were the first people to start doing that in their friendship groups. And they said it, like, dramatically changed the dynamic and made it a much more supportive and caring 
set of friendships to be in. Mm. Yeah, it sounds really bad when you have, like, one, like, many of these, like, insulated groups of typically men who play video games together or do a particular hobby together. I think video games are, like, the new jocks, really. And they're all, like, super mean to each other. But it's also, like, it's like water tension, right? Like, as soon as you have, like, that one drop of detergent, it just removes it. And I find that to be quite a positive thing. Because, like, while, you know, that might not be a person they have in their friend group now, it means that as soon as that is kind of added and, like, is allowed to, like, dissipate throughout the group, Mm. it becomes a much healthier place. And so, like, the fact that these kind of circles have the capability to be that healthy, like, that gives me a lot of hope. Yeah, that's much nicer. Sorry, a very long-winded way of saying, like, be nice to each other for fuck's sake. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I I have a much more cynical view of that. But maybe that's influenced by the fact that, like, I kind of grew up in those kinds of groups. And, yeah, like, the shit that I've seen, read, I guess, is... mm, um, yeah sad <laughs> oh, no. i've i've been on the internet yeah <laughs> like... yeah and it's uh it's a lot of yeah edgelords competing to be like who can be the meanest who can be the baddest yeah there are still people who are you know fucking edgelords now that we're adults right like yep. <laughs> people who make the like very sort of borderline oh is this pc or not kind of jokes like i had a situation that like um i met a friend of a work friend and this friend he said some kind of shitty transphobic stuff and my work friend didn't say anything i was just like cool so this friendship is cancelled i'm never speaking to you again and then on i think it was like wear a purple day or something like some kind of like just event where i felt more comfortable and like i feel pretty comfortable at work but like more comfortable than i usually do at work i pulled this work friend aside and i was like hey you might not remember this but this happened it made me really uncomfortable that you didn't say anything and like honestly it was just it was shitty like it was really shitty. And this work friend was like, shit, like, yeah, actually. And I think we make those jokes a lot in my friendship group and I will start calling that out when it happens. Hmm. And so it's like, I think I have a lot of faith in people's capacity for growth. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit pissed off they haven't already grown. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on, guys, please. But like, yeah, like, I think that's my fundamental feeling when it comes to those kinds of insular circles, like, the reason that groups like the alt-right, like people who love Jordan Peterson, like exists so fervently together is because they're all kind of feeding off each other and like building mm. these beliefs up about how, I don't know, we're all lobsters. I don't really understand Jordan Peterson stuff. I don't know either. Lobsters live forever and can always fuck. Oh, you must... <laughs> You know why lobsters li- live forever, eh? I think so. I mean, like, I mostly remember that from watching the movie The Lobster, <laughs> which is incredible, but also very, very weird. <laughs> that was a good movie. No, I um, I read this uh, last year, and it was quite cool. I mean, I feel weird explaining it to you, because... But let, let me say, I'll, I'm explaining it to the listeners. Yeah, yeah. But also, I don't know shit about animals, man. Like, you're good. <laughs> So, DNA, when it replicates, it unzips, and then uh, little, like, proteins rebuild the DNA from the 
the half that was unzipped. So you unzip it and then you get two strands because they build, they rebuild the other strand. But when it unzips, like because of how it works, you lose. The analogy is shoelaces. Shoelaces. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you know the little plastic things you have on the end of shoelaces? Yes. That's a great analogy. Yes. Yeah. So every time DNA replicates, you lose a little bit of that. Mm. And then eventually you lose so much that you lose a whole tip and it just starts fraying. Mm-hmm. And that's when we die. Like, that's when we get old and die, basically. Yeah. In lobsters, they can regenerate that plastic tip, I think. Yes. Yes, they can. They have that. Um, And in some of our cells, we can do it as well. But we can't do it in most of our cells. Yeah, we do it very well in cancer cells. Mm. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the opposite of what we want. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, lobsters have this protein called telomerase. Yeah, it generates and it rebuilds back this kind of cap this protective cap on the ends of dna so that when they replicate they don't um, eat into the actual genetic data whereas we unfortunately have a a limited cap that does not rebuild and we've got a shittier telomerase so like lobsters ones are just like much better we've we've still got some telomerase which is why we live till we're like you know 100 but lobsters just like very very good yeah yeah lobsters are amazing and they can always fuck they can always fuck. At CZ, we had this special dinner, which is this, like, dinner at, at the end of the semester where we take all of our leftover money and blow it all. And it's such a fun time. And I was tasked with doing this lobster dish. We were catering for, like, about 100 people. And we got maybe, like, eight or so lobsters. And I didn't. it didn't quite hit me, like, what was going to happen because it was finals week i was stressed um but then the special dinner came around and um and the lobsters arrived and i don't know i just had a moment because i looked at these lobsters in um in these like huge plastic containers and they were all about 30 years old which is i assume like when you're supposed to eat them when they're a bit bigger and older and meatier i guess and and i just had a moment because i looked at each lobster i was like oh my god you are my elder (laughs) (laughs) i am so sorry (laughs) and i sat there and spent a bit of time with these lobsters who are much it could have been your dad serena could have been my so much more wiser than me (laughs) had so much more time on this earth than i did like it's my elder i oh my god they've seen a lot of shit and that shit is mostly the bottom of the seafloor but like (laughs) they've seen a lot of shit yeah yeah but anyway um we we did eventually kill and cook those lobsters and it was very delicious but yeah a lot of mad respect for lobsters i uh, this conversation has gone a little (laughs) (laughs) it's okay it's (laughs) sideways look this is all I expect that, like, 12 Rules of Life is, because from mm. everything I've read about Jordan Peterson, he's like, lobsters. And I'm just like, yeah, cool. Oh, that's right. Fuck. We were talking about Jordan. I, I don't know about that guy. The thing I took away from the movie The Lobster was that lobsters always fuck. They always fuck. <laughs> Remind me to put an explicit flag on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think I swear this much in most of our episodes. Yeah, yeah. Um, something, something marketing. Well, this is like, this is actually one of my really big frustrations is like how much gaming is still marketed towards like teenage boys. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, that half of gamers are women, right? And like, it's, it's definitely changing, right? Like I, 
my dream game is um still Dream Daddy, a <laughs> game about being a gay single father where you date other gay fathers. Adorable, wholesome. So good. <laughs> Everything I wanted from life. <laughs> and like there's a lot of there's a lot of I think video games is um one of those few examples where there are those AAA developers who have the money and run these things and Will Wright exists and Todd Howard exists and that's fine. But there's also a lot of indie developers who can do really, really well simply because of platforms like Steam. Mm. Right? Like um and I think it's a really good media landscape because it is just that diverse and because you're getting like we talked about this in our episode with Alana Cole, which you should go back and listen to. But essentially like the people who make games are becoming more diverse because making games is becoming more accessible and is seen as more of a mainstream thing. Mm. But then you go over and you look at esports and it's like sponsored by Monster Energy kind of bullshit. Yeah. And I'm just like But Fortnite's real cute. Like, why do you think only men play this when you can have like an outfit that's a giant pink bunny? Mm. Like, why is this your interpretation of how Fortnite is? Like, Overwatch has a lesbian who's one of, like, the main characters in it. Like, why do you think only men play this? Like, this is not true. Mm -hmm. Don't do this. (laughs) Um, And I find that just, like, really frustrating because, like, on one hand, like, a lot of game developers have realized that they have really diverse audiences. Like, fucking everyone plays Skyrim, right? Like, it's (laughs) it's just, it's, it's one of the universal experiences. Yes, that it is. Just like Skyrim. Oh, God, Skyrim. <laughs> I was playing it last night. I love Skyrim. <laughs> it's a great game. I've got a vampire wife and two daughters. It's Aww. pretty cool. But somehow still the kind of people who sponsor, like, esports leagues and, like, help set up those, like, IRL events and, like, big Twitch events – still seem to think that like the kind of people who like esports are the kind of people who want lots of black and axe <laughs> and monster energy drink. And it's just like, man, like, yeah, I'm I'm glad that we've moved away from the assumption that every gamer like is a sort of like Mountain Dew quaffing Doritos eating like <laughs> slob. That's saying that because I am a Mountain Dew drinking Doritos eating slob, but not every gamer is. <laughs> But we still somehow have this idea that, like, being competitive about computers is a guy thing. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, no, fuck off. And, yeah, like, that really frustrates me. Like, that seems like a misunderstanding of the market that exists Mm -hmm. as opposed to, like, the people we were talking about before, like Gillette and Dove and all of those things who deeply understand their markets and are leveraging them to great effect. (laughs) Well, I think you've touched on something um, that's quite interesting and honestly sad about the gamer identity is that these are you know the the people who make up the gamer identity and i'm talking about gamers in italics here are predominantly young men who predominantly don't have much of a social life in the real life and they find gaming and the gaming culture to be their the, the world where they're accepted and the world where they can have friends. Friends that insult you all the time and are cruel and mean, but friends. And, I mean, I hope this is less of a pattern now than a couple of years ago, but I don't think it's a pattern that's died down. And I think because these gamers in italics 
this kind of identity to them is so precious and their only touchstone of social connection of um group identity and of some kind of some kind of warped but still friendship this is why they protect it so fervently and i mean i'm sure you and i both have a lot of friends who fall under this kind of like special gamer identity just by nature of you know growing up and being a nerd and i've had a lot of conversations with gamer friends and to try and really understand why why they are so deeply emotionally invested in this idea of the male gamer who cares about um it's like a metrocracy kind of thing they care about how good they are at the game and they care about hard games none of that soft sappy shit it's all about you know the skill involved and they they latch really really hard onto the this kind of specialized gamer identity and when the, all the gamer stuff the fucking ethics and gaming journalism shit <laughs> came out like they cared about that and there was no bad faith in that they like genuinely cared about ethics in gaming journalism and it just it baffled me so I I was trying to understand this and I think I came to the conclusion after listening to them for a long time is that it's this identity and this kind of community that they care about and they care about it so much because they grew up quite lonely and they grew up misunderstood and they you know like any other teenager but I think probably amplified in this world of today with the internet um, and like they grew up feeling like they had no friends and their only source of friendship and support and community was in this gamer identity. So I think like as these people have transitioned into adulthood, this is why mainstream esports without a hyphen, I've been told, very important, lowercase or lowercase, no hyphen, esports, um, is very male oriented and will probably continue to be male oriented until these groups form new identities and new friendships and communities outside of this kind of gamer and italics community that they've grown up with. It's kind of near and dear to my heart because so many of my friends are gamers and I kind of grew up adjacent to that culture. I want to add to that a little bit, but Mm -hmm. I think something I really want to emphasize at the top is, so I recently read uh, some digital engagement survey of Australia Mm-hmm. And the bulk of people who game aren't like that. Like they're yes. people with like super diverse interests who mm-hmm. love gaming with friends in real life, who are women yeah. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Like the largest growing market is people over sixty five for gaming because mm-hmm. it's actually really good with preventing dementia and things like that. So I I do really want to emphasize that like when we talk about this, we're talking about a subculture within gaming yes. that is quite toxic a lot of the time. Yes. And so like. Please, please don't go away from this episode and be like, mm, gamers are bad. No, <laughs> because... no, no. I, gamers <laughs> in italics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. in scare quotes. <laughs> the kind of people who make Gamergate happen are bad. I mean, honestly, I think, like, that subculture is decreasing in size. Simply, again, mm. like, law of large numbers stuff. If you game enough, if you interact with strangers enough on the internet, you'll come across people who have healthy relationships with people in their lives and don't call them like names all the time and don't say the n-word as a white person yeah so I am I'm hopeful but I'm also like incredibly aware like 
I don't think this way of marketing esports exists because this subculture exists. Like, I don't think it's continued because the subculture exists. I think it's continued because, like, the companies who are sponsoring things are just being, like, illogical about looking at the market. Like, mm. when you look at the numbers, 47% of people who identify, like, as gamers, right? And that includes people who, like, are casuals. Mm. That includes people who, like, you know, play iPhone games, but people who are engaged and would refer to themselves as a gamer, like 47% of them are women, mm-hmm. right? Like in the age bracket of like 25 to 40, it's 54% female. The subculture isn't like angry men who like the colors silver on black, right? Like the culture of gaming is diverse. And I mean, when you talk about like how these are angry young men who make their friends online, like, yeah, that's true for a lot of people because, like, they will be rejected by their other communities and they find their community online. But that doesn't just happen for, like, mm. angry young men. That's incredibly important for, like, isolated queer people. Like, mm-hmm. there's these huge lists of, like, LGBT-supported, like, Minecraft servers and I think Overwatch servers. I don't really know how Overwatch works. I've never played it. I just know that Trace is a lesbian. And, like, these spaces exist where people can explore and enact their identities online, and that's so valuable. And Mm. what we're seeing with these angry young men in those social circles is just, like, it's another example of people who have a particular way of existing and finding other people that exist in that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And, like, that's not good when it's people who use the word gay as a slur, but I think it's important to realize, like, it's part of a pattern and that pattern in itself is good to my mind. Like, it's mm. great that people who don't have community in any other way can yeah. find that community through gaming. No, absolutely. But I also yeah. think it's real illogical for people who sponsor esports things, who advertise at esports, who set up, like, esports tournaments mm. to not realize the diversity of the people that are coming in and watching. And I think mm-hmm. – there's an element of that, like we're seeing more female commentators, we're seeing like more diversity in people who talk and write about esports, but when it comes to like the setup, like everything's red and black, and I hate that. I don't like red <laughs> and black stuff. Like I love my chunky gaming laptop, but the fact that it's red and black is like my least favorite thing about it. Like why does everything was... have to glow? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't know. I just want things to like Maybe more pastels. Like, I would love to watch an esports tournament where they, like, cut away to people who were just sitting in a nice kind of living room set up with pastels behind them where no one was yelling. Like, that's the kind of experience I want from esports tournaments. I want there to be, like, lemon-scented things to cover up the BO because it just – the BO just happens, guys, and I accept that. I've been to conventions before (laughs) – there is probably no way that we can get rid of the BO at esports tournaments or mm. conventions or anything like that. What we can do is have things that smell like lemons instead of links and axe, you know? Like, mm-hmm. And it just it frustrates me because, like, I look at the numbers and I look at the events and I'm just like, but there is – you're missing most of the market. Mm-hmm. Why are you missing most of the market? Inertia, I w- probably. I would be cynical – if you had something that was, like, super aimed at, like, girls. But, like, what we're talking about is young professionals who game. Like, we're we're the people who grew up with it. So it's like, you know, we say millennials, right? That's, like, 
our age to 40. We're young professionals. We don't want things to be red and black and to glow and to be like vaguely violent. And we don't really want loud noises. Let's be real. We're all getting old. We want soothing colors and we want the excitement of watching an esports tournament and people who are like really fucking good at the game they play, playing really goddamn well. Like that is awesome. And I love seeing that. But we don't, we, we also want pastels and neutral tones and soft voices and people like not yelling at me. Like <laughs> when they're yelling in the context of the game, that's fine. I watch tennis sometimes. <laughs> they yell in the context of the game. Legit. But when you're talking about the tennis, you use your small voice. Oh my gosh, I'm just imagining like a golf commentator yelling. I want these commentators to just be like, and so here in the Overwatch tournament, we are seeing that the tracer of the team is doing a very good job. Golf commentation, um, I love it. We've got we've got the Soldier 76 on the other team is also doing a fantastic work. They've oh, they've just used their ultimate, and that's a very good ultimate use. Mm, mm, light clapping, light clapping. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> that's what I want. Like, and that means that I can watch it like early in the morning. It means I can watch it late at night. Like that's that's a way I want to engage in things. And I think that's a common feeling because we're all so just our bodies are bad and everything is bright and loud, and we we don't necessarily want that. <laughs> have I um have I told you about PurpleCon? No. So the information security community is kind of similar to the like gaming and italics community in that it, it's got a certain aesthetic. And that aesthetic is um, black hoodies, black t-shirts, metal bands, dudes with beards and long hair and kind of thing. Um, and the InfoSec community in Wellington is, and in, like in New Zealand, Australia in general, it's just lovely full of honestly the most wholesome people ever but there is a certain aesthetic very black very metal and <laughs> so this year oh sorry last year now a bunch of infosec friends they were like well we love this community but right now the aesthetic just in general just the visual aesthetic is very um one note and so they wanted to kind of add something that was a bit different and they ran a conference called PurpleCon. It was all pastel, there were like pink and light purple cherry blossoms everywhere um, and this conference was about defenders and it was about actionable security stuff that you could actually take back to your work or to your life and you know make something of it, improve your security posture. And it was just the best, it was the best conference like infosec conference ever um they had this little like aesthetic table in which they had purple nail polish they had glitter to put on your face they had like these little bedazzling jewels to put on your face and like purple and pink stickers and it was just like a breath of fresh air and i think people didn't know that they wanted something new until they saw something new and I think that's a part of what's holding the esports community back is maybe just inertia. Like, this is how we do it because this is how we've always done it. And this is just, you know, our culture and what defines us as gamers. And even women get into that kind of culture because you kind of have to to, to be accepted because this is just how it's always been and this is just how we do things. But I could see that, like, if someone 
ran an esports event that was pastel and like a totally different aesthetic and a totally different kind of vibe, people would get really into it. Maybe they just need to be shown that it's possible first. I fully agree with that, and I'm so happy that PurpleCon exists. It's the like, best. That just that warms my heart. It's the good place of InfoSec conferences. Oh, so good. Just thinking about like what esports events could be mm-hmm. and how I would like actually attend them if they weren't the way they are now. Because <laughs> it's like there's a big one happening like in Melbourne really soon. Like to do, they're doing something with the Australian Open, which I think is also happening right now. I don't know. I I was in like a space that had a TV in it the other day and there was tennis playing and people keep mentioning tennis at work. So I think the Australian Open is happening right now. But there's there's an esports like tournament associated with the the Australian Open. And it's just like that's really cool. Will there be a bowl of lemons? Like <laughs> will there be pastels? I I want those things. <laughs> the, okay, I'm going to send you the link to Purplecon website cuz you'll love it. There's this link that you click where you can get more limes. I have one lime. That's nice. <laughs> so nice. I like the pastel background. It makes me pretty happy. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, a real code of conduct. That's the dream. Yeah. And what's really nice is that this was heavily supported by KiwiCon, like the main security conference, which is like their aesthetic is the, the usual like black lime green hacker mode. Um metal t-shirts and that's that's fine that's lovely as well and i dig that and it was just really nice to like have them support purplecon which is this like pastel goth sort of kiwicon oh my god i really love the limes thing yeah the limes this is like cookie clicker but better zing you have 15 limes seems like a lot but okay I have 117 limes. <laughs> I am now logged into the lime realm. Yes. More different things. With better airflow, just all the time. Guys, yeah. guys, I've been to enough I've been to enough conventions to know that you need better airflow. Better airflow. Conference organizers should always put deodorant and pads and tampons essentially in your bathrooms. Deodorant, pads and tampons. And not spray deodorant, because that can be, like, bad for people who have perfume sensitivities. Oh. Um, you can have, like, a little bit of spray deodorant. Like, if you're putting deodorant in swag bags, you should have roll-on deodorant. Mm. If you're putting it in bathrooms, like, spray deodorant is good. But, like, as an individual, please be responsible with your spray deodorant use. Yeah. It's for your pits, not the air. God, I just I just really want <laughs> nice spaces. You know, yeah. like, this... I, I feel like such a baby saying this, but I just, I just no. want spaces that don't feel like shit. <laughs> like... <laughs> this is this is all I want from life. Yeah. And stuff like stuff like accessibility is just so easy when it comes to particularly things like esports tournaments. Um and I sort of have this opinion about scientific conferences as well because you're not like married to a particular set out or there's like no, you know, running kind of going on. Like you want to create like feng shui is a really good way to approach it because it means like you have a really good flow of people. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as a hopefully good flow of chi. But stuff like, I've been to so many conferences where there was barely enough space to walk between things and look at posters. Mm-hmm. It's just like, well, someone in a wheelchair could literally never get down here. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing? Like, when you're holding events that take a really long time, that, like, involve people who are getting really fucking tired, mm-hmm. don't have lots of steps. Don't have steps at all. Just, like, mm-hmm. ramps, man. That's where it's at. 
Propocon, um, they capped their tickets at 150 people, mm-hmm. um, which made it like a really nice, just a nice size, a nice audience size, and also made sure that like it wasn't crowded and they live streamed the whole thing so that people didn't feel like they were missing out. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really nice. It was just like most people watch from the live stream. And engage online. Like yeah. there's this idea, I think, in a lot of spaces that aren't nerd spaces that engaging online is somehow less valuable. But like esports tournaments are like that they're online. Like I'd I'd like to attend events in person. And I think I would if I had any indication that that'd be enjoyable at all for me. But also just like you can watch stuff online. Like esports are literally online. Mm-hmm. And I think when it comes to sort of like, you know, infosec kind of stuff, like it's it's online. Whereas for almost everything else, people are like, oh no, you gotta be there. You gotta be in the mark. And it's like, no, you don't. You wanna love yourself. Mm. <laughs> I've got a thousand and eight limes. <laughs> so this has been an episode about marketing. <laughs> <laughs> we we've talked a little bit about like how feminism and queer culture and other sort of diverse sections of society are finally being recognized as mar- marketable functions congratulations everyone yeah and then we've bagged <laughs> capitalism for like the rest of the episode so the usual <laughs> it's been a really nice episode just talking about things yeah. that we like and things that we want and how you should always be super critical of advertising. If you enjoyed this episode, please do tell a friend. We don't have any kind of advertising or we don't bother with much, to be honest. But if you enjoyed it, you know, tell a friend. That's how we get more listeners. If you have any thoughts, feelings, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can send us a tweet on the Twitterer. We're at Casting Interest. You can find us on the Facebooks where things of interest and you can shoot us an email if you would like as well. We are castinginterest at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. I've been Sophia Frantz. And I'm Serena Chen. And as always, stay interesting.